Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, listen, and we'll have a conversation about the mundane. One thing we can promise you is that our conversation will be less than fascinating so that you can feel free to drift off. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano. And I'm your co-host, Nidhi Khanna. Feel free to check us out online at theinsomniaproject.com or tweet us at listen and sleep. Nitty, how um, how's your day going? So far, so good, Marco. Mm. It's uh, been a bit of a, a lazy afternoon. Yeah. Which I sort of like. You know, you need one of those every once in a while where you just curl up with a blanket, um, a little bit of Netflix or a book, whatever right. you want in this day and age, and and a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, what tea are you drinking these days? I'm always um, a big fan of a chai, so I like to make my own chai. Really? So tell me about your chai and how you make it, because if I understand correctly, everyone uh, makes, in India, makes their own chai, correct? Most of the time, yeah. You don't really have chai lattes or or anything like that. Um, So what is a chai, then, for people who aren't exactly sure what a chai is, other than the chai lattes that they get at various coffee houses um so a chai really is a tea that has been spiced essentially uh it is the hindi word for for tea oh chai is yes oh i didn't know that so it's uh a bit of it's a bit redundant to say a chai tea because you're basically saying tea tea but two languages you got it so uh i usually have uh, in my mixture of, of chai, you know, cloves and cardamom and ginger. I love ginger tea, so uh, I put a lot of ginger, um, some cinnamon, and uh, some nutmeg sometimes. So it really depends on if you want something that's a bit more sweet or something that's a bit more um, earthy and, and bitter, I guess. Oh, I see. So you like you like these different um, spices, I guess you could say, and flavorings like ginger in your tea, uh, in your chai, I should say. Uh, do you add milk to it? I do. Okay. So that's one of the big things about Indian tea is that you always add milk to I see. it. Um, and I really enjoy it with, you know, a thicker milk. I don't, I don't particularly like it with skim milk. It has okay. to be like one percent or two percent milk. Um, and then you usually have it with sugar, even if it's just a tiny bit of sugar, mm-hmm. just to taste. Um, and that's how I like it. I love the spices because I find it very warming and very soothing. 
um, as opposed to, uh, for example, an Earl Grey, which I find a little too light, um, not robust enough I for see. me. You were recently in England. Now, did you partake in tea time over there? I did, Marco. I'm a big fan of tea time. Uh, and of course, the English do their tea time in the most spectacular way. Um, and they have so many different types of tea. If you go to all these different retailers or even what you get in the grocery store is pretty good tea in comparison to what you might get over here. Um, but I very, very much enjoy sort of the scones and the cookies and the little cucumber sandwiches that might come along with the tea. So how about you? What's your favorite tea? You know, it's interesting. I have different teas for different times of day. So I like a breakfast tea for breakfast. I know that sounds very boring, but there's just something about a nice black tea that's not infused with too much. Like, for example, an Earl Grey has that wonderful essence of bergamot that I really enjoy. It's just in the morning, I want it to be very subtle, let's say, right? And I like to add milk myself. I like a milky tea and either honey or sugar. I'm trying to get off sugar, so I'm using more honeys. And um, I know with my coffee, I've been actually using uh, condensed milk, so I'm not using any additional sweetener other than the condensed milk, which is a sweet milk, right? So I think Vietnamese coffee tends to be coffee that where they use uh, condensed milk, and I had it once at a, in a Vietnamese restaurant, so I've incorporated it into my coffee drinking. And then later in the day, I'll be more, more inclined to have a Earl Grey tea or a flavored tea of some sort. One of my favorite teas, which is really difficult to find is a tea that's been infused with rose petals. I love the flavor of rose oh, petals. Wow. I know it's it's a weird sort of flavor to really resonate with someone like myself. I never would have thought I would enjoy the taste of roses, but um, there's something about a subtle flavor of rose in my tea that I really enjoy. And so I've tried to replicate it with a bit of rose water. And for people who aren't familiar, rose water is a water that's been flavored with rose petals and is used, I believe, in a lot of um, Middle Eastern uh, sweets. So like Turkish Delight, I think, is often um, infused with that. Yeah, and there's some Lebanese sweets, I believe, that also have rose water. In India, it's used quite frequently, too. Oh, is it? Too. Yeah. In, in desserts? In uh, desserts and in drinks. So um, some sort of dessert type drinks will also have oh, really? rose water yeah it's it's a pretty common um ingredient i guess you can say so i very much enjoy mm -hmm. rose water as well so i am not surprised by that but i understand that some of our listeners might be thinking we're a little bit off the wall with our rose, rose water. water i know and it's funny um different times of the year spark different uh, resonance with teas that I enjoy. So for example, I love a rooibos tea in the summertime and I love to um, chill or ice a rooibos tea. And uh, rooibos teas are teas that are made, I think it's a plant, a rooibos plant, so it's not quite, or it's kind of like a spiny bush. And so the leaves of that bush are such that they can never be oversteeped. And if you've ever oversteeped a tea, it becomes very uh, rich in tannins. And some people like a really strongly steeped tea. I don't. Um, and therefore, the rooibos tea in the summertime, and it makes the tea a little bit more on the orange side versus on the, you know, uh, brownie kind of uh, tea, tea stained, I guess, tea colored uh, side. 
So I love a rooibos tea in the warmer in the in the warmer months, and I like to ice it. I'm not a huge fan of green teas. How do you feel about green teas? You know, green teas can be a bit um, difficult. I don't know. I have a little bit of a love hate relationship with them because I think their health properties and their oxidization uh, properties are really really wonderful. However, I find it a little bit too bitter. Um, for my taste and again because I'm so used to putting milk in my tea I find it a little difficult to have that Um, for me green teas have a very um, fishy fishiness about them so it reminds me a little bit of miso and I don't know there's something about green teas that is a little bit off-putting I can't quite figure figure out what it is about green teas that doesn't work for me and I've tried matcha teas and I've tried um, you know, a green tea kind of, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a ceremony or what they call it, but when you whisk the tea, like when there's a, there's, they have this little bamboo whisker and they'll take a bit of the green tea. And when I say they, it's been at, um, specialty tea shops where they'll do this for you and they'll, they'll sort of whip the green tea powder with warm water until it's frothy and then they'll serve it to you that way. And, uh, I've tried to like it. I've added a bit of sweetener to it, and it just it just isn't my preferred tea. It's not that I dislike it. It's just not the tea I would go for. Same with white teas. I prefer a black tea over a white tea and over an herbal tea, unless I'm feeling a little under the weather. Can we go back to rooibos for yes, one moment? Yes, of course, yes. I noticed that you called it rooibos. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard it pronounced different ways. Do you know the exact pronunciation? I always thought it was rooibos. I thought, because, and I could be wrong, uh, rooibos tea is a South African tea. Sure. So um, I don't know if it comes from a South African word, or uh, but it's, it's when you look at rooibos, when you look at the actual word, it has a really unique sort of spelling because it has so many O's in, O's in it. It has R-O-O. I-B-O-O-S, I believe is how it's spelled. So it's really quite uh, interesting to see that T when you see the name of it because you're like, wow, this has a lot of vowels in it, a lot of O's in it, and it's like, how do I pronounce rooibos? Now, I think I saw it phonetically spelled, and that's why I say Some people say rooibos, uh, robos, but I think it's, uh, I think it's rooibos. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Speaking of South Africa, have you mm-hmm. ever been to South Africa? I haven't been to South Africa. It's one of the countries that I would really love to visit because having had friends go to South Africa, when they come back, they're like, Marco, you know, South Africa is not only very beautiful, but it has a real distinct quality to it. And I don't know if you've been to countries where it's like, oh, this place is so uniquely Venice, for example. When you're in Venice, you're like, okay, there's no other place like Venice, unless you're in Las Vegas and you see, you know, the Venetian hotel and you're like, okay, this is kind of replicating Vegas. But yet again, when you're in Vegas, it's like, okay, this is Vegas. There's no other place like Vegas, but you could be in a city like Toronto where we're, where we're recording from. And people will say it often reminds them of Chicago or other cities, Northeastern North American cities. And, um, there's some places and I was told Johannesburg in South Africa is very much like that, where it's like, okay, you are in South Africa, you're in Johannesburg, it's very unique. Have you been? I have not been. I actually have a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, who was born there, um, and then she was adopted, 
and uh, moved to Canada. Oh, wow. But she went back, and she still goes back, I believe. Um, so it's one of those places that I would love to go back with her because mm-hmm. she, I think she grew up there for a few years before they moved to Canada. Um, it, it's always go- great to go to a city with someone who knows it well. Absolutely. You experience it in such a different light. I don't know if that was a recent experience of yours uh, in England and uh, if you have any examples of that. Well, England's a little bit different for me because mm-hmm. I used to live there. I see. So, um, but that being said, because I still have friends there, mm-hmm. it's very easy for me to go to, you know, the newer, more interesting restaurants or if there is a very cool exhibit or a piece of theater, they just mm-hmm. know what's happening in the city. So I don't have to rely on a concierge or third party um, third parties telling me what might be interesting. Like they know who I am and they know what I like. So it really makes it a fuller experience, especially when it comes to food, because I find food to be a very important part of my traveling experiences. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, that has been my experience with some of those places, but, um, with, with a lot of places actually, because I'm fortunate enough to have, people that I know in those areas already so as you say it really does change the experience we were talking before we actually started recording about the moment before and talking about the moment before a certain uh, event and what the feeling you have the moment before let's say a doctor's appointment when they're going to call you in or the moment before you are in a line at the you know getting your license renewed and just being in that moment before or the moment before you get on the bus when you're waiting for the bus or the moment before you you know are checked in at a grocery store I wanted to ask you about the moment before seeing a theatrical uh, play in England versus Mm. seeing the moment before seeing a theatrical play in North America if there is a difference what was the moment before for you when you went to see a play in England So I think England is um, an interesting place to see a theatrical presentation because the moment before is very different from other places in the world because it really is the birthplace of sort of our understanding of how we write uh, a play in this modern world, at least from a North American perspective or like a Western perspective and an English perspective, uh, English language perspective. So to see... Um, to see, you know, Dame Judi Dench on stage and Kenneth Branagh on stage and, and to see them work together is very different than um, seeing a Fringe show or seeing sure. um, a Mervis production because there's, an anticipation. The, there's an anticipation. You have these icons of, mm-hmm. of acting and, and both film and stage performance that you're actually able to witness mm-hmm. uh, live. I think it's similar probably to some of the shows that might be seen on Broadway or New York, but I still think it's a little bit different just sure. because it's a different type of show that I think you are more likely to see on the London stage, like the amount of Shakespeare that's just everyday playing and that people go to. I wonder how much that is a um, difference of, you know, when you go see something in your own city versus going to see something in another city, if the moment before is impacted by the location of where you are. Because, for example, in England, 
you are sort of on vacation. You're not that's not the city where you work, right? Absolutely. So you have more of a relaxed attitude, I guess you could say, Completely. or you have a little bit less of a I live here, so you've got to impress me because, you know, this is where I live and I may know or may encounter you the performer so you're right you know what you you're a bit kinder or mm-hmm. a bit more uh, open to what you're about to see uh versus maybe the city that you're you're in right uh, that you live in that's that's an interesting perspective i never thought mm-hmm. about that but that's that's very true how about you what is what is do you do you see a lot of theater when you're traveling you know it's interesting i will see depending on the city that i'm in so if i'm in a place like London or New York, I really try to go see some theater because you know it's going to be um, some of the best that you'll encounter. Um, if not through the performance, at the very least with the sort of set, the backdrop, or the quality of the actual piece. Um, but when I go to uh, other countries, I try to see what they do well. So for example, um, when we were in Spain, we really wanted to sort of see the architecture in Barcelona because of, you know, all the Gaudi uh, architecture that's there. We made that and uh, food a priority. And then we also saw a bunch of different art as well. So we would go to the various galleries and whatnot. Depending on the city that we're in, we try to, or at least I try to, reflect that in what we're going to see. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. When you travel... Do you have any rituals you do on the plane prior to takeoff? You know, Marco, that's an interesting question. I do have some rituals. Mm-hmm. I used to be a very nervous flyer. Okay. Um, and I was really proud because in this most recent trip, I was not anxious at all. Okay. And I think part of that was my mindset going in. And I read up a lot about um, uh, on, like, planes and the mechanics and... and um, you know, particularly about turbulence, et cetera, to, to calm my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while on the plane, I always have a ritual where I need to take out of my purse um, my iPhone, uh, my iPhone, the the headset. I need to, like, the magazines that I have with me. Right. Like, anything that I feel I'm going to be using on the journey mm-hmm. needs to be in the front pocket and readily accessible. Um, and then I always look and see what movies are going to be playing. And mm-hmm. I have usually my movies laid out so that I have an itinerary of what I will be viewing and in what order. Um, and then I just like to sit back and relax. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, I love to have a book when I fly because I feel it's a very easy way to get hypnotized into the words on the page mm. when... You can't sleep on a plane. What I do is I'll, I'll be the only person. You know that one person who has the light on them yes. reading a book and everyone yes. else is sort of in dark. That's either watching. me. Yeah. That's my experience as well, of course. Um, so I usually like to have my book somewhere nearby, whether it be in the front pocket or I'll usually put it right beside me on the seat, sort of between me and the person who's sitting next to me so that I always have it accessible. I know that my wife has a ritual that she has a knitted hat that she has so kind of like um i don't know what you would say almost like a a toque but a knitted hat that i think her sister knit her and she will bring a scarf with her 
And even if it's summertime, she has this knitted hat and scarf. And what she'll do is she'll take the scarf and she'll put it inside the hat and she'll use that as a pillow. Oh. And the interesting thing about that is a hat and a scarf are very easy things to travel with. Yes. Because when the weather is, you know, not extremely warm, you can put the hat and have the scarf on. When the weather is warm in the summertime she'll stuff it in the pocket of her jacket mm. or in the front of her purse let's say it doesn't take up much room and there you go and she has her little pillow and um for her on the plane and she'll always say to me do you want me to bring a hat and a scarf for you and i say no and then she's like because you're not going to use mine and sure enough when we go on the plane i'll say to her can i borrow your hat and scarf and that's sort of another ritual that i do on the plane when i travel with my wife do you um do you do anything with socks? Like some people have plain socks. Oh, you know, I I would love to have plain socks or plain zippers, slippers because one of the things, things that drives me a little crazy is when you go through customs or when you go through security, I should say, and you've got to take off your shoes. Right. If they have laces, I've often said to myself, I just need a pair of travel shoes that slip on and off very easily. And I remember flying with an airline and they gave me a little kit where I could, where in the kit you had like the eye mask, you had um, like lotion, lotion, earphones, yes. and they had plain socks, plain slippers yes. or plain socks, and it, it was plain socks actually, and I thought this was this is such a great idea, and I loved putting on those plain socks and and just having them, and uh, I said I always bring this little kit with me. It's upstairs in my room somewhere, and I never bring it with me, but I do travel with compression socks so when I'm on a plane I always travel with compression socks my mother-in-law was the one who introduced me to these compression socks and it's funny because talking to a friend of mine I say I never travel on a plane without compression socks they said to me Mark you sound like you're 80 years old and I'm like no when you fly with compression socks it's the world of difference now do you own a pair of compression socks I don't what they do is they really snugly hug your calf and leg like however long mine are like just under the knee the, the sock will go so it'll really tightly sort of squeeze or hug your calf and your foot and it's great to in, in avoiding blood clots you know how on long yes. train, uh, plane rides they say to walk around yes well compression socks help to diminish that and what they do for me is when I get off the plane so let's say it's a five or seven hour plane ride and I get to my hotel room, the minute I take off my socks, my feet feel relaxed and refreshed. They don't feel tired. They don't feel bloated. They don't feel heavy. They feel like as if I was home and I just, you know, put on a pair of runners. That's, um, a, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna take that advice mm-hmm. next time because I did find that this time when I was traveling that, yeah, my feet started to get a little bit sore. Sure. And uh, it's the first time that that's happened. Yeah, I recommend compression socks now there are different types of compression socks that are better than others so um you know depending on the type that you want some are, can be really tight and the thing about compression socks that i will say is when you fold your socks how, first of all let me ask how do you fold your socks i um and i know that this is controversial because it's probably not the best way but i um bunch them up when like you turn them inside yes, out. Yes, I turn them inside out. You got it. You I do too. That. Okay. But I've been reading the book by Maria Kondo. And Marie Kondo, everyone's sort of talking about, about tidying and whatnot. And she said, you should have respect for your socks and you should never turn them inside out. How are you supposed to fold them then? Well, you're supposed to. And 
I had to actually watch a video on how she folded them because I was like, if you fold socks and you put them in your drawer, they're going to fall apart and get mixed up and yeah. then you're not going to... You know how you're always missing a sock and it's like, yes. is it in the laundry? Did it get in the dryer? Where did it go? And then it'll turn up somewhere else and you're like, where's its match? And the most logical way to deal with this is to turn it inside out. You got it. Uh, but it stretches it stretches the, the elastic the elastic of the of the sock and that happens with compression socks and you don't want to do that. Right. So what I do with my compression socks is I'll either tie them together or I have a little plastic I don't even know what you would call it, but it's a sock holder that I kind of put them I kind of put both socks through it. It's almost like you know when you get a bag of milk. Mm-hmm. And the and what's interesting is our listeners might be a bag of milk. Who gets mag, well, bags of milk? Of course. But in Canada, we have our milk in little bags. And I invite you to check that out online so you can see exactly what we're talking about. But it's sort of like the little tab that holds the bag that the milk bags come in. Yes. What would you call that little plasticky thing? Oh, gosh. Well, there's no word for it. So <laughs> that little plasticky thing that holds... You know, it's the same thing that if you get bread in a bag it holds the bag together and oh, it'll like save twi- the date. it's like a twist tie it's, but it's not it's, it's like a plastic twist yeah. tie is the best way to describe it yeah so anyways listen i want to um thank thank our listeners who have joined us today on the insomnia project we hope you've uh you know drifted off into a slumber and if you haven't thank you for listening to our, our conversation we do invite you to tell us what you'd like to hear us talk about so feel free to tweet us at listen and sleep check us out at the insomniaproject.com and tune in next time on our next podcast we look forward to conversing and having you listen and we're the only podcast that as producers and hosts we hope you never get to the end of so we know we've done a good job if this podcast just plays and sort of ends and goes to the next podcast episode and you wake up at some point having had restful sleep till then i'm your host marco timpano and i'm your co-host nidhi kana and we hope you listen and sleep <laughs>